Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Strumming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year, and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. Friends, I'm excited to let you know about Connection Summit Conversations. This is six candid conversations between Marissa Martino, myself, and occasionally a special guest, covering everything from the human half of dealing with dog-directed reactivity to the importance of play. So check out the link in the show notes. We're getting started soon, and you won't want to miss it. Y'all, today I am talking to Addie Dodge, who is one of my patrons, and Also, in her words, a dog and human behavior nerd, a lifelong learner, and a trained birth doula through the organization DONA International. She's pursuing certification in that realm. She commented on a post I did in Patreon following one of my sound sensitivity chats that I did for my patrons, and that comment was... I briefly trained as a birth doula, and it really struck me while listening to this just how much overlap there is between providing pain relief and emotional physical support for humans and supporting dogs through a potentially traumatic noise event. Honestly, a light bulb went off when you talked about helping to provide a feeling of control and choice, since that is known to be one of the biggest contributing factors in how a birthing person feels about their birth experience and whether or not they experience lasting trauma. It's not exactly the same since childbirth is an experience the human is hopefully choosing to go through, but a lot of the conversations we have about pain versus suffering come to mind for me, i.e. unpleasant sensations and fear are very likely to be part of the experience, but genuine suffering is unacceptable and we usually cross the line into suffering when there is a true panic and loss of control. And everybody, I don't need to tell you that I was blown away by that comment, and I immediately reached out to Addie to see if she would be interested in expanding these thoughts in an episode. Here it is. Okay, hello. Will you please start by sharing your first and last names and your pronouns with us? Absolutely. My name is Addie Dodge. My pronouns are she, her. Thank you, Addie. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, and can you start with where we can all connect, which is, what is your dog life? Absolutely. So I currently share my home with two dogs. Um, I have a six and a half year old Australian cattle dog mix named Wilfred, who is just my heart and soul. And then a two year old super mutt, who is a two year old <laughs> through and through. Two year old, yeah. Who is a two year old, And what kind yeah. of stuff do you do with them? We do a lot. Uh, we don't currently do any uh, like competition aspirations or anything like that. Um, but I have always been really, really interested in dog training and getting my first dog as an adult. I was like, you know what? We're going to do all the stuff. Uh, we do a lot of training for fun, a lot of um, train for you know obedience behaviors and uh, trick training. 
Uh, we also do a lot of behavior modification stuff. Both of them are somewhere on that barky, lungy, reactive, aggressive scale. Of so, course, as so yeah. many dogs are. Yeah. And so what <laughs> is a birth doula? <laughs> Uh, that is the question that I get more than any other question. Uh, so a birth doula is a uh, non-medical trained caregiver who provides consistent emotional, physical, and educational support in the time before, during, and immediately following labor. Um, there are other types of doulas as well. The most common would be uh, postpartum doulas, and then there are also death doulas, abortion doulas, stuff like that. But I trained as a birth doula, and uh, childbirth is my, my specialty. It's so interesting, and it's funny in our conversations leading up to this conversation, I mentioned to you that I'm, like, oddly interested in birth for a person who has no intention of ever giving birth. <laughs> and so Same. I did know yep. what a birth doula was. Yep. It's, it, was a, it was very sweet of you to say. I think we should yeah. talk about what that is because not everyone... Yeah, I get about 10%, oh, my God, that's awesome, can you make more of you? And then 90%, what the hell is that? <laughs> Totally. And, you know, I think that we need doulas for everything, but certainly yeah. something as important as childbirth. Absolutely. So in your comment that spurred this conversation left in Patreon, you said unpleasant sensations and fear are very likely to be part of the experience, but genuine suffering is unacceptable. And we usually cross the line into suffering when there's true panic and loss of control truer words never spoken very very well said Addie can you can you relate that to your experiences with your own dogs oh yeah <laughs> um so for a little bit of background um when I got my first dog as an adult Wilfred it was really really important to me that he be raised as force free as possible um I'd always had dogs growing up um and we just we didn't do a lot with them um we definitely did pretty radical relationship building stuff but we also did some icky stuff that I did not want to repeat with my own dogs and in my head that kind of meant that I was going to be the perfect owner he was going to be the perfect puppy and he was never going to have to deal with any icky feelings ever <laughs> everything was going to be great and then fast forward a year and he turned out to be severely dog reactive, uh, noise phobic, and had some uh, stranger aggression issues. And I really had to pivot and think, <laughs> you know, it's not realistic that he's never going to feel icky stuff, that he's never going to be in unpleasant situations, feeling unpleasant things. But what is the line for me? What is that boundary where I can't fairly treat this as a training issue anymore I have to realize that he is out of control he is suffering and I think that my experience learning about this stuff from a different perspective from the the birth doula perspective has helped me kind of realize where that line is for us so that's the really interesting piece for me because certainly we talk on this podcast all the time about the fact that yes some things in our dogs lives are hard we should always be kind of that beacon for them that um, they can rely on and certainly when we go down the road of behavior modification we always need to realize that behavior modification is kind of inherently invasive but for me the, the line does need to be Panic is not acceptable for, yeah. for my dogs. And true suffering is not acceptable. 
either for my dogs or my clients' dogs. You mentioned that your training as a birth doula kind of brought all of that full circle for you. So what is it that you learned in your doula training that has helped you with the dogs and maybe vice versa if, if things have gone the other way as well? So I think I kind of mentioned to you um, when we talk about support in the doula role is kind of broken up into three major parts. Um, that would be educational, physical, and emotional support. So for the, the educational piece, that means when you go into this labor experience, your toolbox has to be full. Uh, you have to we both have to know what works for you, what doesn't. Uh, do you like to be touched? You know, how how do I bring you back from that point of panic? And thinking about that, not just with the people in my life, but with the, the other animals in my life, with the dogs in my life, you know, do I know how to bring you back from that point if I see that you're spiraling? Can I grab you and say, it's okay? You know, can I be that stable source for you? Well, the, so you said educational, physical, and emotional, yeah? Yeah. So from the educational standpoint, you're saying that's your personal education, like you have to have the background? So it's it's my education, certainly, and then it's also what education can I bring to you to prepare you for these experiences? Okay, so then also coming to it from this teaching role. Absolutely. Right, so yeah. I have that full toolbox that I can then give you things out of here and, and be that teaching role. And that's when we talk about dogs, I love these three points. That's that's so That would be so important for us to be talking about. I could think of my clients that way in the sense that I bring education to the table. I help and teach them um, what to do. But also when I'm looking at my dogs, it's my job to teach them what the right thing to do is in any given situation, right? Because they're just yeah. transplanted into our world that doesn't really make that much sense to them. And then the physical standpoint, you actually had some really interesting things that, that we talked about um, just from a physical support standpoint, where you were going through um, an adverse noise event for one of your dogs and learning about kind of the different physical techniques that you can use with people. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the, probably the main things, one of the first things that you learn as a doula for providing physical support and labor, uh, we do a lot of like hip squeezes, uh, counter pressure, providing sort of this this pushback against the, the labor pain. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the the gate control theory of pain management, but essentially... I have. That, Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, uh, when you are experiencing pain and you you have sort of a, a lesser pressure pain discomfort, mm -hmm. that can overshadow the pain that you're experiencing. Um, and I actually had originally learned about that. Uh, I learned about it in a psychology class where I was really struggling with public speaking, and the professor told me to take the point of a pen and press it into the mm -hmm. palm of my hand. Mm -hmm. So it's not so just it does, pain, but yeah, not just pain's best friend, anxiety. Yep. <laughs> right, exactly, yep. Um, so that's something uh, we actually recommend for a lot of uh, birthing people to bring just a simple, like a basic fine-tooth comb with them and hold it in their hand if they don't have someone with them providing support so to do something, right? So thinking about dogs for a little bit about that, there are definitely techniques 
that I maybe don't love that um, are kind of an aim to distract them. However, there's something to this and it's not only distraction. It is actually almost like spreading out the neurological energy that is being spent, right? So if you are zeroed in on the one bad thing that's happening, you're putting all your energy there, but then if you kind of produce some other sensations to put that energy towards, that could be helpful. So like in a veterinary setting, we might tap one part of the dog's body as we're gonna inject a needle in another part of the dog's Mm -hmm. body. And that feels like the same thing to me that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I had brought up like a thunder shirt for a dog, putting that pressure, you know, on their body to not just distract, but like you said, to diffuse some of those other physical sensations that are happening. So that was something I had compared to. We use uh, like a rebozo in in labor uh, to provide support and counter pressure uh, during contractions. That is a that's a specified uh, type of wrap, but not unlike the T-Touch wrap or the Thunder shirt Mm -hmm. that that we talk about with dogs. Yeah, and I I went full crazy dog lady and I used one on my dog because he's so gear sensitive. He hates putting on a Thunder shirt. So usually I would use my hands. I would either press on his chest and I'd provide steady pressure or he really likes sort of like pounding thumps, you know, rhythmic pounding on his chest. So I, to save my hands, I used a scarf instead. And was he less averse to the scarf mm-hmm. than like a thunder yeah. shirt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Okay, so educational, physical, emotional. Yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, big one. We can get into the woods on that one for sure. I sometimes get in trouble for talking about their dog's emotions a little bit too much because we, we don't really know. We can't actually ask them, right? But what we can do is make our best assumption based on kind of what their behaviors are and we can also i talk about this all the time we can also try to regulate ourselves so that we're not Mm -hmm. like in this cycle and i would imagine as a birth doula you cannot get into like an empathy cycle like you you can't be in their birth experience you have to be just guiding them yeah and it's so hard for us sometimes like if we see our dog melting down maybe they're barking and freaking out at a trigger how quickly we also just completely spiral right <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I do, yeah. yeah so do you think that's similar and have you experienced that being similar where just kind of sitting with them in their discomfort yeah because what we do when we melt down i think with dogs usually is we try to we try to fix it like we like get in and we try to intervene and we're trying to redirect and we're trying no no it's okay come over here it's okay yeah. okay here's the cookies right yeah yeah you know as a birth doula there's not it's okay it's okay here's a cookie it is it is just we're in the yeah and it's, the only way out is through like we yeah it's get, not okay honestly not okay. <laughs> and just as someone with anxiety i know that like someone going like it's okay like clapping in my face how how helpful is that it's yeah. Terrible. It's actually the worst. It's actually irritating. It's all it's just disrespectful. It feels disrespectful of your experience. Yeah. So talk about that. I know we talked a little bit before about um with your dog, you had this kind of realization through the doula training of like just sitting with him through this discomfort. 
Yeah. Just trying to like guide him through it rather than train him out of it. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it also, it plays into what I was saying earlier that you have to think about, is this something that's even fair for me to train? Mm. You know, is, is this something that is that I can even make okay? Or again, do I have to just sit with him in this discomfort? Do I have to do my absolute best to make it better, to pull him out of the panic cycle? And other than that, we just kind of manage. Yeah, and this is another thing that, this is kind of the hill that I will die on, which is basically that in animal training and dog training in particular, a lot of the time we get really we, we put a lot of our faith in the science of, say, uh, classical counterconditioning. We say we can make anything okay through association, right? I mean, yeah. we t- we're like, I will make this okay through association. I will simply pair this with food. And it will, and as long as I start at a low enough level, pairing it with food or pairing it with the ball or whatever the dog really loves will make it okay. And I not only do not find success with that in my own work, which the people who really stand by it say that I'm just doing it wrong, right? So there's that. But then also, I find it kind of disrespectful. Like, 4th of July is never going to be okay for a lot of dogs. No. It's not okay for me, to be honest. I mean, it's hell. So that's not going to be okay for them. I also have... You know, most dogs, something like a blood draw, they can certainly be trained to do that for you. But I just have to argue that you aren't actually going to make them like it. Yeah. And there's a reason that we don't engage in a lot of counter conditioning with humans, in behavioral practice with humans. A part of it, I think, is kind of that disrespectful piece. Like, yeah. You aren't actually going to make the birth experience <laughs> something other than what it is, right? What about, I, I'm just really fascinated with that piece. And I love that you're talking about, you know, that maybe you came to some realizations of like, maybe there are things that I just need to help my dog cope with and get through. Do you have any thoughts on like what the difference might be between something that, I know I have thoughts, but between something that like, you know you can actually make them like better. Mm-hmm. Like maybe body handling or maybe a specific tool. You said one of your dogs really doesn't like to wear stuff, like doesn't like equipment. There's a lot of ways that we can make equipment easier for them to wear, right? And it may be more comfortable for them. And then there are things that our best bet the least invasive way to go is to just help them get through it when it does happen rather than doing like therapy to get them through yeah what are your thoughts on that i have so (laughs) many thoughts um so i think that's a a really interesting point and for me like the dog who i told you is he's not he's not comfortable with gear he doesn't like it but he wears a harness when we go walking he just does. That same dog is severely phobic at the vet's office, mm-hmm. as in they will drag him to the back and they will return him to me having defecated because he is so uncomfortable. Oh, poor baby. 
not okay with me. Yeah, no, not okay. And I had to have kind of an uncomfortable conversation where they wanted me to bring him in for happy visits. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't like happy visit. Like, we'll bring him in. You can feed him treats. He will not take treats when he sees the vet's office. This is, I will medicate enough that he can be put under so that you can put him to you know do whatever you need to yeah, do to him use sedation sedation is yeah kindness. like that is mm-hmm. that is my line <laughs> and i think that's that's a very clear difference that's kind of mom i don't want to put on the harness like head down kind of sad like mm-hmm. okay but like you have to well, once like, he's wearing it and he's once he's wearing it he's fine he is not, not phobic he is not upset to be wearing it he doesn't want to put it on and he does it because he knows something good is going to come afterwards and he's going to be okay uh the vet is not okay for him and i can't make that okay and so you choose to to utilize sedation to help him just survive those things that he Mm -hmm. has to survive as a dog absolutely and i totally agree with you addy i think that is the smartest kindest least invasive thing for you to do yeah and i think in in the case of a client obviously a human client can make those decisions for themselves so you know i would see the difference between someone who's maybe going into the birth experience wanting something very specific out of it wanting a certain kind of empowerment maybe they really want to have an unmedicated birth and i can help them through that help them cope with that pain versus someone who's maybe severely phobic of the birthing process and that isn't on the table for them and we're gonna go maybe plan cesarean and i can help them decide what are the pros and cons like what what can you handle and i don't think that either of those is the wrong choice or weaker than the other i'm like (laughs) i'm like feeling emotional because i just feel as though that level of medical advocacy is not is so uncommon not just in the in in every type of Mm -hmm. medical setting if we were all a little bit more empowered to choose like what we thought we could power through versus what we just needed to not be there for. Yeah. A little bit more. I think, you know, I sometimes joke that like surgery is easier for me than like awake procedures a lot of the time because with even though surgery is a lot harder recovery and a lot more involved and might scare other people a lot more because of risks of anesthesia, it's easier for me to not be there. Yeah, just go bye-bye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> easier for me to wake up and have it done (laughs) right yeah Um, yeah absolutely and i think we need to think about our dogs like that yeah we need to think of you know i think a lot of people are really afraid of sedation a lot of pet owners that i know are and i used to be i think i used to be like a little more averse to sedation because i maybe didn't understand like i understood just enough to be a danger to myself and not not enough to be helpful like i knew you know a friend of mine was a vet tech and they sedated a six-month-old lab puppy to do toenails and it crashed and died so like i know that story right so then i have this story in my head today i am like no anything that takes more than two people to get done anything that the dog can't just have minimal restraint and be kind of reasonably you know displeased with yeah i'm like sedate just and and use the big guns like don't mess around with a single xanax like this is yeah not- i don't i don't care about gabapentin right now <laughs> you put him to sleep yes like. no just be go bye-bye <laughs> just yeah, go bye-bye. um yeah and i think 
what a what a gift that you um, are aware of this for your dogs and can kind of have this like mirror image life of like and I'm gonna I'm gonna be my dog's veterinary doula and I'm going to <laughs> also be a birth doula. Um, so fascinating, so interesting and so to shift gears just a tiny bit, um, there are a lot of professionals in helping roles that feel a strong correlation to the type of dog training that I like to do. So not maybe the, the dog training that is more traditional and is more, we make the dog do the whatever. Like we don't, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're very much talking about cooperative relationships between people and dogs. And so professionals in helping roles easily relate their work to dog training all the time. But what's funny is that I frequently will have a client who's in a helping role, who, who has that type of career, who can't draw the parallel. Like yeah. there's this disconnect. What do you do? You've obviously, I mean, was it easy for you to draw this parallel? Did it come naturally to you? I mean, I would say it was probably easy for me to draw it. I don't know that it would be an easy thing for me to share. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you see it, but it's not necessarily something you can like, you know, go go change the world for <laughs> for everybody, right? Regarding. <laughs> yeah, and so I like think with I... your own dog, like the story of getting that dog through it was a thunderstorm or something like that, utilizing literal doula techniques. Yeah. That you told over Patreon, like that is, or maybe just me, I don't remember. <laughs> um, that is, that's you drawing the parallel and taking the action. Yeah. Both of those things. Does that feel natural to you, or does that feel like something that's just continuing to unwind? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that's continuing to unwind. Um, there were definitely there were other things that, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily turned right around and been like, all right, Wilfred, let me like try out this doula technique. <laughs> you know, like I just got back from training. Like let me do have squeezes. Yeah, I think that it was it was there. It was under the surface. There were other things like um, talking more about physiological things that were harder for me to to draw that connection um because i think sometimes it's just hard for us to think of humans as animals to think of our behavior as animal behavior um so we talk a lot about you know utilizing um like oxytocin and i think in you know we talk some about the happy hormones when we're we're doing dog stuff but generally not maybe like much. oh the like, dopamine no not as much and right, maybe yeah. like oh he got like a dopamine he hit from that if you're like extra level nerdy but like right. you're not gonna dive into like hey like do you think that if i make like sustained eye contact with my dog and like breathe with him that he's gonna get a rush of oxytocin and like that will help to like slow his heart rate which like it will <laughs> right it will, like... oh it is sometimes hard i think that i do more of this drawing of it like i think that the way that i think inherently is just the way that i understand the world is through dogs like the way yeah. that i relate to anything is is often through through dogs and so um even sometimes on a not helpful level for sure um as one of my therapists pointed out really clearly um, <laughs> that's always fun that's her job it's fine uh, <laughs> but What's fascinating to me is like, okay, so that's the lens that I see the world through. 
And now all these people in these helping professions who then who have dogs see their world through their helping profession role. And I, I think that, you know, if, if you're in one of those roles and you're listening to this, chime in on the conversation and let us know how you can look through that lens and see dogs through that lens. Because certainly not all of it applies, but truly the deeper I get, the more applies than, than doesn't. Like, yeah, the I've had great conversations about dog training with people like yourself or like a friend of mine who's a kindergarten teacher or, you know, another friend who is a social worker. And I mean, they're like, I think these conversations are important. I think continuing to talk about the fact that we as dog, like dog trainers are in a helping role. And if we kind of actually talk to other people in helping roles, I think we might get. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, a lot of the, the roles that you mentioned are especially working with children or with and I think I think that can be a little bit hard I think that part of the reason why I am not as eager to to share these these comparisons is because I don't want to feel want anyone to feel like I'm taking something away from their experience or like I'm saying that my dogs are just like their children or well my dog was like scared this one time exactly exactly (laughs) you know like we'll kind of have these conversations because like I said I'm a person who has never given birth do not have children weirdly obsessed with childbirth that's why I do what I do And so I do, I have a lot of conversations with people who um, have children, have given birth, and it's like, well, like, I have so much to share, and I don't want you to feel like I'm taking anything away from you, or like I'm sort of replacing your, you know, your children with my dogs, anything like that. Um, but I think that any any caregiving role does look a lot the same, the same and, you know, good teaching looks like good teaching whether that's you know teaching a child or teaching a prospective parent or teaching a dog so true so i think i think that's a really important piece is that it's important for us to never take away from anybody's experience whether it is the dog that's huddling in the back of the closet because they heard a truck backfire outside like taking that away from that dog who's having a real experience of terror is not a is is a terrible thing to do as a a person on this earth and then also yeah taking away um a a person's birthing experience and saying you know (laughs) look i used the same wrap on my dog i was upset i mean it's it's it comes across very disrespectful i think it's really true so to me it's like I like to just find commonalities and find common ground so that we can all connect on those pieces. Rather, And I do think we have to be careful about not coming across as, well, this is the same as that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Addy, this has been very interesting. <laughs> is, there, is there anything, I think we could probably go on and on, but is there anything that you in particular would like to add to this conversation? No, I think we, we covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I think we kind of briefly touched on this, but um, one of the kind of one of the first things that you learn as a doula is about the importance of self-care and the role of uh, secondary trauma. And I think that's actually something that we don't 
talk about a lot with our dogs is that when we are supporting another creature through something that's traumatic for them, whether we think it should be traumatic, whether it was actually life-endangering, there is a risk for the caregiver to experience secondary trauma through that. It's something that as a as a doula I have to watch out for and as I did that I realized I was actually having some some trauma responses from the work that I've done with my dogs. And I think that's just that that's an important thing to work watch out for. Is so interesting, so important, not talked about enough. We we absolutely do. You know, when I talked about how we we want to fix and we want to um, kind of cajole them through their experiences, that is self-protective, right? That is like, I am going to get down in, into that pit of despair with you and I can't, mm-hmm. right? And I think, again, the more we talked about this, the more the more we all accept and embrace that we are deeply emotionally connected to these creatures. And it's kind of, even if you're not, we are hardwired to have these connections and experiences like we're hardwired to not look away when somebody is experiencing a trauma it is naturally hard for us to stomach right and it's this kind of constant practice of you know not just self-care but like awareness in the moment right are there is there anything that you learn in that regard that you can then kind of apply like is it is it just as simple as i'm going to take these steps to help you cope or are there like these mental checklists that you also do to like check yourself and make sure that you're not getting pulled in there yeah I mean I think it's it is important to keep yourself grounded to make sure that as you're providing support for that person like you said you're not being pulled into that that empathy loop and it's also really important to have your own care team uh, whatever that looks like for you and make sure that you're getting support as well any context in which you are providing care for another creature like you also need care provided to you totally i mean my some of my most successful clients with really tough behavior problems share with me that they share our work with their therapist yeah <laughs> right? so they're there <laughs> absolutely yeah talking about helping this dog get through the thing because it's it's not trivial it is no. a real thing you have a real emotional connection to this creature who's going through a really hard thing you're going through the really hard thing together with them and it's important to to just acknowledge that like we just kind of shove that down and, and act like that's silly just a dog yeah just right a dog. it's just a dog who just has a stupid yeah. dog behavior yeah he was barking like it wasn't even scary like right. but it was scary to him and it became scary to me like we yeah. we have that connection with them we do and i think that has to be talked about more yeah I think that really does help. Addy, you brought some really, really amazing food for thought to us today. Um, and I just want to thank you for that. And I will remind everybody that you are a patron. And so, you know, everybody should jump over on Patreon and say how much they love the episode, but also maybe share some of your experiences. I think, you know, I would both love to read just experiences that people have had that relate to this conversation at all yeah so so thank you so much Addy this has been a fantastic conversation
thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. Okay, and some Patreon questions. The first one comes from Brandy, who writes, Hi, love your podcast, and binge listening is a guilty pleasure. I'm so glad, Brandy. <laughs> when my dogs see wildlife, rabbits, squirrels, deer, chipmunks, etc., which is every day. We can't avoid it. While walking on a 15-foot long line, they yank me and pull me so hard I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. Often we don't see the wildlife ahead of time as they dart out from under a bush or from the woods. How do I work with the dogs towards not pulling me down and if off-leash running off? They are still too highly distracted to listen to a recall or leave it. Thank you. So, Brandy, first of all, the human's needs really do need to be considered here and I commiserate with you I cannot be pulled around especially on the long line it is the worst so a couple of things that you need to do and they are both training projects the first one is actually teaching the dogs what is and is not allowed when they're attached to you by any kind of leash I work really really hard to teach dogs that regardless of the stimulus that they are facing regardless of the distraction they are not allowed to yank me around I absolutely encourage the use of a no-pull device in this situation to help you um, kind of get from A to B to help you while you're training. Simply, that could be whichever one you're comfortable with using on a long line. Usually on a long line, a front connection harness is better than um, any of your other options, but use, use what makes you feel comfortable and safe. And then in the meantime, really working on high levels of attention out in the woods and um, your recall, as well as just kind of a default when you see something come back to me. And if they've got a long history of chasing wildlife, which it sounds like they kind of do, it will take you a long time. It is a huge amount of work, a huge amount of work. It is worth it though. So the answer is training. And I know nobody loves that answer, but it is the answer. Next one from Brenda who writes, I feel like you have a podcast to answer every question already, but maybe this is unique. I've never had an elderly dog before, but my Border Terrier is coming up on 13 years and has started some really annoying barking habits. Really loud, directed at my face barking when he perhaps thinks it's dinner time. Not sure that is the reason, but my guess. Really loud at the door so he can go out and bark at the world, which I don't let him do. <laughs> he gets so much joy in crittering along the fence line at night. I love to give him that opportunity, but the barking at night is unacceptable because I have close neighbors. And sometimes he seems to just be barking into the air for no particular reason. I'm trying to be the milk by responding with an unexpected but not cruel consequence, but I would love some ideas. And since this is a new development in the last handful of months, I wonder if there is a normal aging aspect. Doesn't seem to have trouble hearing, but is but that's bound to happen. And if there is something I should learn about slash prepare for in that regard. So Brenda, first of all, I am going to lean towards this being not necessarily normal, but due to age um, and due to some kind of developmental change due to age, whether that is hearing loss or whether that is cognitive decline, which is more where I would lean. It is probably related to that. So I would actually be talking to your veterinary team about potential cognitive decline and what you can do to support this dog. And then in general, 13 years old, meh, I pretty much give them what they want. Um, I'm pretty, you know, if the dog is asking for dinner, but it is not dinner time, I would be the milk. I would give them something else to do. Like I would, you know, put them in a crate with a 
not very exciting, not good, chewy, or put them on a leash and have them be next to me for a little while, something like that. Barking to be let outside, I would say that some enrichment needs need to be met otherwise if he can't be allowed to do those kinds of things. So basically, I would rather than think about punishing it, which is what being the milk is, think about supporting him from all of the other angles that you can support him from, like support his cognitive health and support his enrichment needs. Um, and you can either stick to a really strict schedule on that feeding and make sure that he is not fed when he is barking, or you can change when you feed him every day and just make sure that you feed him at random when he is quiet. So if he's quiet and resting, it might be dinner time. And uh, best of luck, you know, obviously cherish him. Old dogs are really tough sometimes, but are of course wonderful. And last one for today comes from Elise. Who decides when the dog's needs are met? Let's be honest, our young cattle dog who comes from generations of working dogs is meant to work all day. Is two hours of off-leash plus two sessions of mental work plus dog time in a four-acre yard with siblings enough? So Elise, essentially the dog's behavior tells you. Um, if the dog is able to settle, easily, easily copes with the stressors of life, um, engages in training with you normally, does not have conflict with other dogs in the house, is not overly reactive to things in his environment, then his needs are probably being met. The behavior of the animal in front of you is what tells you. There is not, uh, you know, there are, are not rules. There's not goalposts for people to meet. Thanks everybody for your questions. Are you on Patreon yet? It's where you can get all the extras for this podcast. The original tier over there still exists, where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast. But there's a new tier. You can become a Cog Dog Arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dog, so that includes agility, obedience, behavior, and stuff with my brand new puppy, Rhea, live guest chats, and more. So go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. The link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.